Hello there. Um, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast. This is the longest one I've recorded to date, um, just about 30 minutes long. And it's long because I talk about education. I worked in education for uh, nine years and some change in K-12 public education. And for almost three of those years, I was also teaching classes at a university to uh, graduate students. It was teachers that needed training in culturally responsive teaching. So I taught classes around race and culture and how that shows up in schools and how that matters. On this podcast, I just talk about kind of some basic history of education and where it comes from and why it functions, how it functions. I'm actually working on a couple of different projects around this area, so there'll be more podcasts coming. I'm also working on a collection of essays around this topic. Um, but yeah, man, I appreciate y'all tuning in. If you got any questions, hit me with them. Otherwise, enjoy. What it do, baby? Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. As you heard on the intro, today I'm going to be talking about education. Um, what I guess we could refer, we'll call education, but what I'm talking about is compulsory schooling. Like schooling that is not voluntary schooling that's required by the state. So this podcast is about what we commonly call education. And if you can't see me, you're listening to the audio version of this. I used air quotes because education and what we experience as citizens is not necessarily the same thing. Um, I'm a firm believer that education is learning. There is education that happens in compulsory schooling, but that's not the primary goal of it. And um, I know a lot of people think I'm just kind of anti to be anti, like kind of just an asshole for the sake of being kind of against the grain. Which I dig. I mean, I can see it. I can definitely see why people would think that. Um, but all that shit aside, I'm going to explain to you why I think compulsory education, compulsory schooling is not the best thing. Um, how we perceive it to be a measure of success. Like if you have, oh, my son made the A honor roll. It's like, yeah, that's that's fucking dope. Congratulations to you on raising your son. Congratulations. Congratulations to your son for obtaining those A's. But uh, what is the what is it that you're really obtaining? You know what I mean? That's more so what I'm I'm talking about. Not not lack of dopeness from teachers and the professionals that work in education because of, there's some incredible people. But anyway, man, let's jump right in. So let's talk about what schooling is, what we commonly call schooling, education. Where does it come from? Like if you look at it, it's like, OK, it simulates the workday largely for parents. It's like, OK, you're in school from seven to three or eight to four, whatever it may be. But you're in school for a working a working day, basically. And um, if it's up to Senator Kamala Harris, kids will be there for another three hours, which it's fucking madness. For even adults to be there another three hours, that's more than they can handle. I guarantee you that. So let's start where schooling began, at least modern compulsory education as we understand it. You'd have to go back to 1717 in Prussia, which um, European country no longer exists, not in that capacity. Um, that's a whole different fucking lecture, different podcast. But uh, you had the king or the czar or whatever the fucking dude's title was out there. It was like, yo. We need to create a schooling system that provides our nation with the kind of populace that we need. The best way to do this would to be create a factory, 
for people where you send the raw materials in this way they exit as this finished product that's able to function in our society if you go in a classroom like you can literally see this like look at the way desks are typically lined up like it's literally in factory mode like where you create this and then you pump it out okay you go from first grade that classroom is here to second grade it's right there so on and so forth where you progressively build these young people and i'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing right building our young people that is a necessary thing but when we look at it from the perspective of what we're being kind of built for what our product is supposed to do um but anyway getting away from prussia because that's 1717 now you're like crump what the fuck you talking about that's 300 years ago that is 300 years ago you're right so fast forward like 100 years man to uh horace mann horace mann had brought that factory style of education that factory model to the united states from prussia he actually went and visited prussia so if you go in i mean really any any city any town that's worth a damn in america as far as size wise will typically have like a Horace Mann something. Like your education system, your district might have a Horace Mann building. Um, you might have a Horace Mann school. There's a lot of different things. But Horace Mann brought that style of education to America. Massachusetts was the first one to adopt it. That was in 1852. All right, so we're, we're getting a little more recent. Then by 1900, every state in the country had adopted that method of teaching. As far as compulsory education, in this factory style of model. So 1900, you have that in the United States, every every state. Same time, you had that happen all across the world. That's this style of schooling just kind of swept the Western world, which in turn sweeping the Western world means that you're going to sweep everywhere else because the Western world likes to put their value systems on everybody. And so those, those are kind of the origins of schooling as we understand it today. I know you're probably thinking, okay, so what the fuck did we do before? Well, depending on who you are and who your parents were, that was going to dictate largely who you became. And this is where compulsory education, you can actually make the case for. But prior to compulsory education, well, if your dad's a baker, you're probably going to be a baker. If your mom is a, the local seamstress, you're probably going to be a seamstress just because you're going to get the skills that your parents had. Now, if your parents weren't shit, <laughs> which there's a lot of ancient people in our societies um the likelihood of you not being shit were high as well now that wasn't the only type of schooling or education that existed there were neighborhood schoolhouses um i know if you look back on any any american movies you'll see that okay and you'll see that in like little towns they would have had schoolhouses where it's like okay you had all the kids from like third grade to to eighth grade in the same same one room place or even to high school in the same place and you create a a different kind of populace right like if a kid if you had a third grade kid who was reading as well as the eighth grade kid well he's going to read with the eighth grade kid you know what i mean obviously maturity and comprehension in some of these things might be um obviously different developmentally because of different ages but the learning and education was going to be a little different right it was more individualized it was more tailored and focused to to the individual because it kind of had to be. It's like if the schoolhouse teacher was working with this wide variety of kids, well, they have to differentiate the instruction like a motherfucker. Schoolhouse schooling and all this other shit aside, man, I feel like I've 
you got enough background information on where schooling comes from and kind of why why it came into existence as we understand it today. Now, one of the things I want to talk more about, just since I'm from the Twin Cities in Minnesota, Minnesota has the highest achievement gap in the country, largest achievement gap in the country, however you want to word that. Now, for those of you that don't understand what an achievement gap is, because you, you usually shouldn't, you wouldn't unless you worked in education. An achievement gap is basically the difference in test scores between your average scoring white student and your average scoring black student. Now you can segregate that for race. You can use different different races, but the achievement gap from black to white, from white to black, when they talk about achievement gap, that's what they're talking about. Minnesota has the greatest achievement gap in the country, bigger than Mississippi, bigger than Alabama. Um, I don't know, any, any other one of those rural states, Kentucky. Now, part of it, that when we say it has a higher achievement gap, that doesn't mean that, hey, Mississippi kids or Kentucky kids score higher than Minnesota kids or black kids or white kids or whatever. Just what it means is that gap, literally the space between the high scoring white students and the high scoring black students or average scoring black and white students. That gap is huge. Like Mississippi, the education is shitty across the board. Um, Kentucky, education is shitty across the board. And that's a lot of different reasons. And that's not to knock the people down there. It's just there's a you have a lack of funding. You have a fucking insane rate of poverty. And I guess when I say shitty, let me clarify. When I say shitty across the board, what I mean is your your white students, your black students, any and all of your students. Well, I don't say all because you're going to have an outlier. You're going to have a lot of outliers. Um, but basically, the test scores are going to be shitty. Right. It's going to show that the kids aren't really learning much. Don't comprehend much. Just that they haven't. They don't have high test scores, man. What we typically equate with success in schools. Now, I could tell you that those lack of high test scores is due to a lot of other factors other than the schooling itself. But again, that's for a different fucking episode. Now, Minnesota, however, you have high test scores for white students. Oftentimes I'll see billboards. Minnesota has some of the best schools in the nation. Or you'll see those reports in like U.S. News and Report where it talks about how great Minnesota schools are. Well, that's when you have to ask, ask the question, great for whom? Because it's not for black and brown students. The suspension rates are high, high than a motherfucker. As far as the amount of black kids, black and brown kids, I'm going to say black kids just because that's what I kind of was my area of expertise. Um, high rate of suspension for black kids, extremely high rate of special ed referrals. And when I say special ed, I don't mean like for cognitive disabilities. <clears throat> I don't mean for things like Down syndrome. I don't even mean for things like autism, although we are seeing an increased, an increased rate of autism um, in all communities, which I don't know. I, that's an alarming thing in and of itself. But uh, I'm talking about subjective special education. So I'm talking about things like EBD, emotional and behavioral disorders. Um, look it up. I mean, it's basically... If you're listening to this, I'd imagine you're kind of around my age. I'm 35, but even I'd imagine you're like 40 and younger. You remember areas where you had like the bad kids, right? Those bad kids were sectioned off in a certain fucking area. And they would be sometimes in some of your regular classes, but a lot of times they might have had their grown up with them, their aide with them. Um, that's EBD more often than not. Now, EBD is an extremely subjective, subjective diagnosis. 
um, what you could say is defiance. Another person could say that's a cultural norm. Like here's an example, roasting. When I was working at a, at a high school, I remember they were having a meeting about roasting, kids roasting each other. If you're not familiar with roasting, Jonin, um, playing a dozens, just talking shit about one another, right? Clowning one another, which is something that culturally is extremely normal for urban black males, not even urban black males, just males in general, but I can say specifically for the school I was working in, urban black males. Now, they were talking about treating that as bullying and possibly suspending these kids. And the thing that we have to understand when we're talking about these suspensions, well, suspensions can be used to refer your child to special ed, to refer a child. I say your child, because fuck it, man, I feel like it would hit home a little bit more if you really think about the fact this could be your kid. But these suspensions, this data, like, hey, little Jamal has been, uh, he's been suspended four times for bullying. And re we really feel like he's a danger to the rest of the kids. So we want to put him in a more specialized program, right? That's how they'll word it oftentimes to parents. They, um, they're not on the parent's side with that. Here's another interesting factor about special education. When you have a special education student, you're getting more money for that kid. You're getting an additional at least $15,000 per school year, depending on what district you're in. I know there's federal numbers and let's just use the number 15K um, as a rough estimate. But you got to understand you got more staffing now because of this kid. You're, you have to have another classroom because of this kid or these kids. It's a it's a real fucked up game where there is actually an agenda to send kids to special ed because people benefit from it. Now, a lot of what I'm saying comes from me as uh, a black male that experienced public education that went through it all. And even fucking I worked in it. I worked in it for a decade. Like literally my job was to sit at these special ed meetings. And so oftentimes what I would do is I was I was there to be kind of working on the behalf of the family and the student. So there's a lot of pushback on my end. I'm like, oh, well, these these suspensions are really subjective. Like you're trying to get him in special ed for behavior that you deem offensive or aggressive or whatever it may be. But I'm like, that's that's your cultural lens. Like, and this is where it gets interesting. So Minnesota in Minnesota, 96 percent of the teachers are white. That's in Minnesota as a whole. You get in the inner cities, it changes a little bit, a little bit, not much, um, not much at all, actually. So we're using, again, Minneapolis as an example. In um, 2018, I want to say, Minneapolis hired a record number of non-white teachers, POCs, as they call them, people of color, which I don't really like that term because it's not specific. It's like white is white. You know who, who's white. Like, fam, I see you. you're, you're a white guy. If you tell me a person of color, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean, bro? Like anybody can kind of identify as anything. And um, a lot of white passing people identify as people of color. Asian people are people of color and they don't experience discrimination in the same way that other races do. Especially, um, well, just think about the fact that the stereotypes for Asians are usually positive. Not to say that that has a good effect on them on an individual level but you're not seen as fucking savages um and subhumans so but yeah so minneapolis hired a record number of uh of teachers of color and this was uh last year i want to say it's 2018 they um they hired 26.9 percent of the new teacher hires were teachers of color and it's like okay that's that's dope you've hired 
damn near 25, like damn near a quarter of it, more than a quarter of your, your new teachers are going to be black and brown people, men and women. Hopefully some men in there. Typically not. Um, education is a female dominated field. But uh, so you hired more than a quarter of your, your staff. Dope. But here's the thing. If they continue to hire at that rate for the foreseeable future, like if that's what they're doing, they're still not even going to be 20 percent black and brown teachers by the year 2028. So that's 10 more school years that we're talking about. And we still won't even be above 20 percent teachers of color. And I know you might be saying, well, hey, why does it matter if you have black and brown teachers? Why did why does it matter if you have this diversity in your workforce? teaching this diverse population of kids like we use uh, the district that I worked in man most recently Roseville their high school was more than 50% of color that's a suburb and I guess to stay consistent with what I'm talking about um, we use again Minneapolis Minneapolis public schools are 66% of color so that's black American that's African um, a lot of East African people in Minneapolis by the way we have the highest population of Somalian individuals, I want to say outside of Somalia in the Twin Cities. Um, well, shout out to my East Africans. But a lot of Mexican folks in Minneapolis. There's a lot of Asian folks actually too in the Twin Cities, man. We have, again, a large, another large population outside of their home country, um, the Hmong people, Karen people. Just we have, there's diversity here in the Twin Cities. But you don't find that diversity amongst the staffs of education so that's where we can get into a whole nother problem where it's like hey man education really is not not working and here's a secret it, it is actually working it's designed to work exactly how it is working like we talked about early in the podcast the purpose of education it is to create a certain type of population um, that's what we're doing i'll tell you about the school to prison pipeline Right. Like if you've never heard of this phenomenon, it's it's a motherfucker. I'm going to post links for uh, some resources in the comments of this. If you just want to go down the fucking rabbit hole. Otherwise, Google or YouTube um, school to prison pipeline. There's some good resources for it on YouTube. Definitely. But it's exactly what it sounds like. We create a pipeline in public schooling to create prisoners for the future. And what they do is they take kids third grade test scores and based on those numbers, they see how they need to project and how they need to build beds every year. Like, OK, based on these test scores, we need to build a thousand beds next year because we anticipate having this many more prisoners. Um, it's really fucked up. But again, when you think about the purpose of education, not being to necessarily educate, but to create a functional populace, it makes sense. And when I say functional populace, I don't mean necessarily that you're creating individuals that are functional because that's not what it's about it's about creating people to fulfill certain roles like we're going to need plumbers we're going to need janitors we're going to need salesmen i was going to say ceos but now nah, fuck that the, the rich man's kids are going to be the ceos and the rich man kids aren't going to regular schools and just like we need these ceos there's going to be ceos of a private prison well they're going to need guards they're going to also need prisoners to make your license plates or your Victoria's Secret or to farm your produce that's sold at Whole Foods. And uh, again, look that shit up. Like, I'm not bullshitting you about any of those things. They've made lingerie. They've, like, 
produce that's marked the fuck up at Whole Foods. Those brothers get like a nickel an hour type shit. They get some bullshit type of wages, bro. We even say a quarter an hour. Like I'd imagine that's generous. This is the purpose of compulsory education. And uh, one of my favorite phrases is, it is what it is. And in this case, that's what education is. And it doesn't mean that the players in these systems are terrible people. Like I worked with some phenomenal teachers, man. Some phenomenal educators. Like, and just for context, I worked in K-12 public education for nine, nine school years. I quit like going into my 10th school year. Um, put in my two weeks notice I kind of just grew tired of the shit, man. Started the school year up and just like, I, I can't do this anymore. I was getting into it with people who I thought were, um, I don't want to call them bigots because well, no, fuck it. Bigots. Yeah. I got into it with some people who I, I think were bigots. And they had high positions in the school district, man. So I can't, I can't play your game, bro. I can't wear the mask because uh, I have no issue in speaking my truth, which is some educator language that comes from Glenn Singleton's Courageous Conversations, which is actually a textbook that I used when I was, I legit taught university classes for uh, going on three years, two, almost three years. I was working at a university teaching classes around race and culture and how it shows up in the classroom and it was just like the more i learned the more i was like fucking hey man like i i was educating dope teachers but it's crazy to see how little they're really taught like the teachers aren't even equipped more often than not to teach in city schools and that's no fault of their own these are people that want to be great teachers like they love what they do they love the kids and now this is the people i was working with and that i was teaching they were paying to take a class. There's a ton of shitty educators, a ton. It's um, it's no different than any other part of society. You have, I don't know, you have your shit pool, really, man. Um, but the teachers I worked with that were trying to become better teachers, great fucking people. And they wanted to be great teachers and they wanted to connect with kids of color. And as beautiful as that is, and as much as that ambition led them to be better teachers and to let them to be able to show up better for their kids, their students, our students, our kids. It's a systemic problem. It's not it's not for lack of effort that kids fail in classes oftentimes. And that's that's the part where once I really realized that I'm like, I can't I can't even fuck with this because no matter how much you love the students, you love the kids that you work with. As hard as you want to work, you could work 20 hours a day, which I legit knew teachers that were working 12 hour days. They're paid for the normal eight hours, eight and a half hours. Good teachers work long days. They're there early. They're there late. It's like shit, man. A lot of them will bring your kids home. And shout out to, to you if you're listening. You're one of those kinds of educators. Um, and just for you guys that got kids or that, that weren't aware, there are some phenomenal people out there. But no matter how many phenomenal people you put there, the system itself is fucked. It's, uh, it's a term a term I use a lot, form follows function. How schooling works is a product of what it's supposed to do. So it's supposed to create these prisoners. It's supposed to create these disparities to keep kind of a caste system in place, if you will. Um, and I don't even wanna say a caste system because I feel like that that oversimplifies it and there's a lot more nuance to it, but it keeps shit 
what it is. It keeps things running the way that they're running. It keeps the machine running. Um, we don't want your kids to be individuals. We'll tell you we do. We'll tell you that we, we treat every kid as, as one kid and teachers can want to treat every kid as one kid. But you have standardized testing where you're not measured as an individual. You're measured across this. This this is the normal. This is how you relate to the normal. And here's the thing. I I can't speak for everybody. But I don't I don't want to raise normal fucking children. I want to raise exceptional children. I want to raise children that are unique. Like that's their fucking superpower. Who they were born as, who they who they are going to become. That's that's unique to them. They're one of one in that regard. And I feel that same way about every kid. And the fucked up part about education is it doesn't nurture that. It doesn't inspire that. It uh it doesn't value that. The way that education is graded and measured. It, it there's no value found in your kid being your kid and that being unique to them. And I think a big part of the goal for me is raising successful adults. I want them to grow up into being young people, into being grown old people, whatever the fuck, into into adulthood with everything they need in their tool belt, every tool possible to build that house that we would call success, right? And success is such a subjective thing, but whatever that looks like to them, I want them to have the tools and the skills and to be have be able to have had worked on those to learn their craft, hone their craft so that it's just excellence on their end, that their life is the life that they want to live. I think that's really important. And speaking of that part, there's a there's another book I would recommend, even just kind of looking up for the YouTube kind of cliff notes of it. But it's called Cradles of Eminence. And I'll put the link in the description of the podcast. But Cradles of Eminence, they profiled it was hundreds, man. It was it was more than 400. It might have been more than 700. I think it was more than 700 people, successful people, eminent people, people that uh, whether they were famous, rich, successful in industry, any number of different type of people. But they profiled them, right? 60% of these people, three of five, six of 10, 60% of these people did not do particularly well in education. Like schooling did not fit them well. Um, I don't know if you guys know what well, FUBU, Damon John, that brother was dyslexic. One of the sharks on Shark Tank, terrible in school, actually multiple sharks in Shark Tank. Um, another book I would recommend is Damon John. I don't even remember the name of it, man. It might've been shit. Yeah. I don't know. Power of broke. That's what it's called. Damon John, the power of broke, but he talks about his struggle with dyslexia. He talks about a couple other people's struggles. And so in school, they're, they're outcasts. They're kids that are doing shitty on these tests because those tests don't work for them. You're, you're asking. I don't know. Another another favorite phrase of mine is what's normal for the spider is chaos for the fly. Just meaning that we're all fucking different. What's normal for you might be great for you, but that doesn't necessarily apply to me. And um School is one of those places where it doesn't give a fuck about who you are. We need you to become this. So you figure out, you know what I mean? You can figure out what, what this means, but you got to work within this framework. And that's education. And I say all of that to really say school is not for smart people. That doesn't mean that you're dumb if you're in school. Like if you're going for a trade, 
or there's a particular type of schooling you're, you're getting that applies to the world outside of school, that, that's smart. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what school is supposed to do is prepare you for your life as an adult, as an independent individual in society. Now, that individual needs to add some sort of value to the world. And realistically, that just comes from being happy. School doesn't create happy individuals. It doesn't create fulfilled individuals. It creates a working class. And in order for society to function, you have to have that. But let's let's call it what it is. Let's not sit here and and act like education is this fucking great system. Education is pretty much teaching our kids to be obedient and how to comply and function in society. I don't really value obedience. I don't think that's a high. That's not a high priority for me as a father in raising obedient children. I mean, to some extent, sure, but I want you to be a critical thinker. Like education is not teaching our kids how to think. It's literally teaching them what to think and to follow that doctrine. And um, that follows them into adulthood. If you're not obedient, you go to jail. Okay, well, what happens in school when you're not obedient? You go to the in-school suspension room. Anyway, I feel like this, uh, this is my longest podcast to date. We're approaching 30 minutes. School is a nuanced thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing, nor is it for individuals or smart people. It's uh, it's to teach you to be a good citizen, which I don't know. I'll leave you with a quote, one of my favorite quotes by a philosopher and thinker and guru, um, Jiddu Krishnamurti. But he says it is no measure of success to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you liked, comment, subscribed, all that kind of good shit. Um, holler at me on Instagram at king.crump. Facebook, Crump Talks. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.